Good morning. <clears throat> Welcome to each one of you. On January 28, 1986, the Space Shuttle Challenger lifted off from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. 73 seconds into its flight, the spacecraft disintegrated after an O-ring seal failed at liftoff. The failure of one part, one small part, caused a ripple effect that resulted in the deaths of all seven crew members and the loss of millions upon millions of dollars. Are little things important? I think of several things. Are little things important? How about a decimal point? Is where you place the decimal point important? Pretty dramatically changes the number. How about something like a concentrate, say Roundup? It, if you put it on poison ivy, straight, if you put straight water on, it grows. If you put a little Roundup concentrate into the water, the poison ivy dies. It's just a little bit. How about interest? A little interest adds up over time. How about shooting a rifle? A little wobble at the end of the barrel constitutes a miss at, a, at 100 yards. This much wobble at the barrel is feet out at 100 yards. <clears throat> How about feeding of the 5,000? Jesus fed 5,000 with one boy's small lunch. When that small lunch given to Jesus, when it was given to Jesus, it made a difference for 5,000 people. You see, little things are important. Do you ever feel like what you're doing is small, or it's unimportant, unnoticed? Does earning a living, working so you have to give, seem insignificant? Does changing diapers, preparing food, and disciplining children feel unimportant? Do you ever feel like Others have so much to offer the Lord than I do. I've been there. Or is there an area in your life that you've wondered, is it worth being faithful? After all, this is such a little thing. I've been thinking the last while about being faithful in little things. I'm calling this the little sermon. Some time ago, I made a list of verses that talk about little things, and I plan to briefly look at several of those and then turn to one of Jesus' parables. I'm turning first to the book of Zechariah. Very brief background. In the book of Zechariah, the Jews had been in exile for 70 years because of their sin, and they were allowed to, after 70 years, to return and rebuild the temple. 
The foundation had been laid and then the work stalled due to numerous difficulties. And 18 years after the foundation had been laid, the temple remained unfinished. People were comparing just this beginning of the work to Solomon's splendid gold-covered temple that had been there before. And in that comparison, this temple came up short every time. They were looking at it and saying, this is a small thing, or this is like nothing compared to Solomon's temple. It must have felt to them like it wasn't worth going on. And God sends Zechariah to encourage them. I'm going to turn to Zechariah chapter 4. I'm just going to read two verses there, and I'll be moving on. Actually, I'll read three verses. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord, which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. God also sent Haggai. And I'm flipping back one book to the book of Haggai. And chapter 2, going to read verses 3 to 5. The theme of the book is to rebuild God's temple. God sent him to encourage the people. Reading verses in chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? In comparison with it, is this not in your eyes as nothing? Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord. And be strong, Joshua the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord, and work. For I am with you says the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. God is saying, I am here. I see. I care about what you think is a small thing. I will receive glory in this small thing. I found it interesting that He mentions when they came out of Egypt. Why? Maybe because God was visibly present. There was the fire by day, I'm sorry, the cloud by day and the fire by night. God's visible presence, His glory. And now, they didn't have that. But God's saying, I'm still here with you, just like I promised I would be. Do not despise, the King James says, the day of small things. often the things we think are little things are great in God's sight. And the things God says are important, we sometimes overlook. I think each one of us has a desire to do something meaningful, something worthwhile with our lives. It's a God-given desire. We're made for eternity. We want to make a difference. Daniel Darling said, sometimes the most radical thing you can do with your life is to simply 
be faithful. Here's a quote from F.B. Mayer. We are called to be faithful in performing our assigned duties, the regular, quiet, careful performance of trivial and common duties. Faithfulness in that which is least is as great an attainment in God's sight as the greatest. <clears throat> Jesus said, I'm not turning there, but in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, Jesus said, He who is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Small things show whether I'm prepared for bigger things. Jesus also said in Matthew 10 and verse 42, And whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. God rewards little things done for him. A.J. Gordon tells this story. A Moravian's failure. A Moravian missionary named George Smith went to Africa. He had been there only a short time. Another source said only one month. And only had one convert, a poor woman, when he was driven from the country. He died shortly afterward on his knees praying for Africa. He was considered a failure. One hundred years later, his mission counted more than 13,000 living converts who had sprung from the ministry of George Smith, the failure. Do small things matter? Can God work in small things? He can. When we have an opportunity to serve God through serving someone else, I think sometimes Satan says, it's such a little thing. It's a waste of your time. It's not worth it. I want my response to be, Lord, I love you, and I'm going to serve you through serving this person. When faced with the temptation to sin, Satan says, it's a little thing. It won't matter. It's just a little thing. No one will know it's small. He knows that I probably won't be tempted to take some big drastic step and do something obviously wrong, but if I believe it's a little thing, and maybe I will. I believe it was in 1845. I see I failed to put the uh, poet's name in here. A lady in Massachusetts in 1845 wrote this little poem. Little drops of water, little grains of sand, make the mighty ocean and the pleasant land. So the little moments, humble though they be, make the mighty ages of eternity. So the little errors lead the soul away from the paths of virtue, far in sin to stray. Little deeds of kindness, little words of love, Help to make earth happy, like the heaven above. I'm 
going next to Song of Solomon, a verse there, chapter 2 and verse 15, says, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Little foxes, I'm told, live under the shade of the, in the shade of the, the grapes, the grapevine, and they eat grapes. But they're just little foxes, and they're cute. But they eat the grapes. What good are grapevines without grapes? Not much, right? That's the point of having them. It reminds me of our Jack Russell Terrier, Victor. Victor, Ann called him her veggie tail doggy. He loved vegetables and fruit more than any dog I've seen. <laughs> He was a mess when he particularly loved strawberries. And when the strawberries were in season, unfortunately, the strawberry patch was within his invisible fence. The rest of the garden wasn't, but he could get, he had access to the strawberry patch at the time. And uh, so when strawberries were in season, we'd look out the window and go, oh no, he's doing it again. And we'd rush outside because Victor's going down the rows and he's waving his nose. And he'd pick out the most ripe strawberries by the scent and go over and eat them. Once he had eaten what he wanted, I caught him once, cocking his leg and marking his favorite plants. <laughs> well, Victor was evicted from the strawberry garden. We can't have him there. We, we like strawberries. The little foxes living in the vineyard eat the grapes. Solomon's bride is concerned that they don't allow allow little things that have the potential to destroy their budding love relationship to stay. Little things can destroy a marriage. Little things can turn people bitter toward each other. Allowing little foxes to stay will result in no fruit for my master. Unprofitable. Another verse I think of Little things is in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Paul is speaking about allowing sin in the church, and he said, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Allowing sin in my life affects the church. Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 1 Dead flies make a perfumer's oil stink. So a little foolishness is weightier than wisdom and honor. One little sin can ruin years of positive influence. I'm sure we can each, we can all think of examples of that. Where one sin ruins a reputation. <clears throat> This is from an unknown author. It is the little words you speak, the little thoughts you think, the little things you do or leave undone, the little moments you waste or use wisely, the little temptations you yield to or overcome, the little things of every day that are making or marring your future life. Now I ask you a question. Is anything entrusted to us by Almighty God a little thing? Satan wants us to think they are little or unimportant. 
But nothing that is entrusted to us by God is really a little thing. In Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus is giving a series of parables about the second coming. In Matthew 24 and verse 32, there's the parable of the homeowner and the thief, and it emphasizes the unexpectedness of Christ's return. It will be a surprise. Matthew 24 and verse 45, there's a parable of the two servants, emphasizes the, the need for behavior that is acceptable to the master at all times. Matthew 25 and verse 1, there's a parable of the ten virgins. It stresses the need to be prepared even if there's an unexpected long delay. Then in Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30, is the parable of the talents. I'm going to read that one. <clears throat> Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. Let me turn there quickly. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each one according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who had received two talents gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received the five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. He also who had received two talents came and said to him, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed, and I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has... More will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable of the talents goes beyond the first three parables that are referenced. It goes beyond them in that it expects the servant's will wisely invest and add to what the master has entrusted to them until the day of reckoning. This parable emphasizes faithfulness in using what our master gives us. A talent <clears throat> is a, a unit of money 
It's the equivalent, most commentators say it's equivalent of 6,000 to 8,000 days wages. That's roughly 20 years wages. That's not a small amount, whether it's one talent or five. All of them actually received a very valuable, it was a, it was a large amount. One talent only looked small if you were comparing with the others. 20 years wages isn't a small amount. I think a talent represents resources, time, abilities, opportunities that believers are given. And each one, you'll notice, was given a different amount in proportion to his abilities. God is good and he knows what I can handle. I can trust my master to know what's good for me. When I get in trouble is when I start comparing with those around me. In verses 16 to to 23, the, the first two servants each doubled what they had been given and they each received the same reward. We're responsible to use well what God has given us. The issue is not how much we have, but how we use what we have. What I do with what I've been given. The third servant, who had had one talent, started out by making excuses. He was afraid. And instead of realizing his responsibility was to serve his master, you know, he, he made excuses and buried it. His accusation to his master that you're a hard man was really just an attempt to cover up his irresponsibility. That he wasn't willing to take responsibility and do something with what the master had given him. So what's the, for, the first thing we tend to do? Point at someone else. You ever feel like blaming God? That's really what's happening here. And I think we can find ourselves there. Was this servant, the scripture doesn't tell us, was he maybe pouting because he wasn't given as much as the other servants? I don't know. The fact that he did nothing for his master really showed that he didn't love him. He had much desire to do anything for him because when you love someone, it will result in action. Not because you have to, but because you want to do it. The master calls this third servant who buried it in the ground wicked and lazy. It's too lazy to even put it in the bank to collect interest, but just hide it. Because he did nothing with what he was given, he lost what he had been given, and it drastically affected his future. God rewards faithfulness, and unfaithfulness ultimately results in separation from God. 
The parable of the talents teaches us that what has been given to me is preparation for greater responsibility. It will affect my future. You know, God has given each one of us a soul to prepare for eternity. Can you think of something that's more valuable than something that lasts, that will last for eternity and is made in the image of God? I can't. One way God prepares us to spend eternity with Him is through being faithful. Faithfulness in little things. In everyday things. In ordinary life. Being faithful. One of my favorite verses, I say one of them because it's hard to nail down. <laughs> Only one. This is one I would point to is Colossians, I'm sorry, it's two verses. Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. In whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward for the, of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Revelation 2 and verse 10, Jesus said to the church at Smyrna, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. I ask you again, are little things important? I think they are. Are little things important? We can't ask the seven crew members on the space shuttle Challenger. They all died because of one part that failed. God values faithfulness, faithfulness in little things. And I want to leave you with the thought this morning that my future is being formed today by little things. Would you stand, please? Thank you so much, Lord, that you are faithful to us. We can always depend on you. Thank you that you are faithful when we are not. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful servants of yours. This week, would you remind us of things that, would you remind me of things that I need to change to walk faithfully with you? Thank you that... When you make us aware of things that need to change, you also give us the grace and the strength to do it. Lord, we look to you and ask that we would be faithful servants of yours this week and that people would be pointed to you, see you at work through us. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.